Thanks for tuning in to the Calvary Now podcast. At Calvary, our mission is to set people's hope in God and engage in the mission of God. Today, we're back in our study in the book of Mark, where we see how Jesus' teachings turned the perception of the kingdom of God upside down. Well, good morning, Calvary West. Uh, my name is Nathan. I'm so glad to be here this morning. Uh, I'm one of the pastors at Calvary, and uh, I'm really excited that I have the chance to share God's word with you. I love any chance that I have to be over here at West Campus, and I'm just so thankful for what God's doing here. I'm thankful for the leadership team that he's blessed us with, and I know you're thankful for them uh, as well. Uh, if you are here this morning and you're going to head to Kids Connect, you can find Miss Jennifer over here in the back. Uh, you can make your way towards the back and, and inter- interact with the Bible and friends in fun ways uh, back there during, uh, during this part of the service. Um, if you're a guest with us this morning, you should probably know, like, I'm not normally the guy up here. Uh, and so after the service, I know that I would love to meet you. Pastor Ryan would love to meet you. And so you can find us out there uh, in the lobby um, in just a few minutes. Why don't you grab your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Um, as we open this passage, I should just go ahead and say, like, I'm excited to look at this passage with you. Um, but I like, feel like I should go ahead and tell you, Like for me, this is a text that hits really close to home. Like as I've been reading and praying and thinking on this this week, it is something that I think especially for Americans, uh, those of us who are particularly close to like church stuff that might describe ourselves as religious, this is a passage that really uh, hits home. You know, over the last couple of weeks, we've been making our way through a series on the gospel of Mark that we've called the Upside Down Kingdom. You see, Mark has been helping us understand how Jesus came to establish a kingdom, his kingdom, a kingdom where he gathered a group of people who were committed to honoring God as their king. And we've seen throughout this study that all sorts of people are attracted to Jesus for all sorts of reasons. Some stay and some Go, but lots are attracted, but all of them are surprised by Jesus. You see, the kingdom of God can feel really backwards. It can feel surprising. It can feel strange. It can feel upside down. Over the last couple of weeks, we've seen how the kingdom affects the way we look at authority. The last two weeks, particularly, we've been thinking about how the kingdom changes the way that we view our marriages and the way that we relate to our spouses. And today, we're going to see how the kingdom of God affects the way we view our money and the way that we view our morality or our righteousness, right? This passage centers around a man who has it all. He has power, he has status. He's young, right? He probably crossfits. I'm not sure. That might be NIV 84, but like he, he's, he's got it all. He's popular. He's incredibly wealthy. And he's even, it seems, somewhat religious. But it's so interesting because in spite of all those things, he's not happy. Even with all the stuff the world loves the most and religion, he still feels a sense of emptiness, A sense that in spite of all his stuff, all his accomplishments, all his morality, he is still missing something. And so he does the right thing. He he goes to Jesus. 
And as we come to this passage, you know, I wonder if we should just stop and say, like, I bet there's some of us here who can relate to this guy. Right? You may not describe yourself as rich or young or certainly probably not a ruler, but I think we all know the pull of those things in our lives, don't we? We all know what it's like to want more, to want more wealth, to want more stuff, to want more attention, to want more power, more influence, more ability, more credit. And I think we know what it's like to try to be good people, like to feel good about how we are morally. But no matter what your success rate is like with these things, I think we also know what it's like to feel like empty, to feel like even with some of this stuff, we're not quite right, to feel like there's something more to this life than stuff and religion. You know, maybe that's why you're attracted to Jesus. Maybe that's why you're here today. I'll just tell you that for me, like, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm into this. Like, I've tried to get stuff. I've tried to win. I've tried to get credit. I've tried to be good. But deep down, I've known something just isn't right. There's got to be more. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm drawn to and attracted to Jesus. But we're going to see a really surprising truth in this text this morning. We're going to see that you can be successful, you can be good, and you can even be really, really close to Jesus and still miss the kingdom. You can get all the external right, but if the internal posture of your heart is wrong, you'll miss the kingdom. So let's look at this passage together. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all of these I've kept from my youth. <laughs> and Jesus said, looking at him, he loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. So Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 26, they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, Lord, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now, in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to this place in this passage this morning, 
We've got all sorts of stuff going on in our lives, stuff in our relationships, stuff going on in our hearts, maybe even like now in this moment. But Father, we know that we need to hear from you. So Lord, my prayer this morning is that in this moment, you would do what no human could do, but only what you can do. Speak to us. Reveal your truth to us. Convict us. Help us to see the beauty of Jesus in all things. Lord, I pray that you would get me out of the way for this to happen. I pray that my words would fall to the ground, blow away, and be forgotten. Let only your word remain and let it bear fruit. Father, we pray that you would help us to see that if we want to follow Jesus, that we must be willing to give up everything and believe that Jesus is better than anything. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, perhaps you noticed in that prayer, like the big idea of this passage this morning, that if we want to follow Jesus, we must be willing to give up everything and to believe that Jesus is better than anything. Let's look at how that unfolds in this text. The first thing we're going to see is that God's primary concern is with the allegiance of our hearts. I think as Americans, we are all really tempted to think that God is most concerned with behavior, with the do's, with the don'ts, with those sorts of things in religion. But this text teaches us that like, it's not that simple, and that's generally not the case. Because here in the passage, we have a man, a decent man, who's coming to Jesus, and he's asking a really good question. He's asking, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? The text tells us a couple of things about like how eager he was. He came running. Like I can picture him just like out of breath, interrupting Jesus. He came respectfully. He fell down. He, he called Jesus by uh, respectful names. He gave him honor and respect. And so just, I mean, this guy is doing so much right, isn't he? He's asking the right question to the right person, and he gets the right answer but he gives the wrong response. The passage tells us that in verse 22, he went away disheartened and sorrowful because he had lots of stuff. Something tragic has happened here, and we would be wise to try to understand it. I read one guy this week, he made the comment, he said, the rich young ruler is the only person in the gospels who came to Jesus with a need and left worse than when he came. That's really interesting. So we need to try to understand, like, what happened here? Like, what went wrong? Well, this guy made some pretty significant, like, significant mistakes. Some that I think that we can be prone to. I think, first of all, he thought he was, like, a good guy. He thought he was generally a pretty good guy. Jesus starts there by saying, hey, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And I think what Jesus is doing here is that he's, he's making the point that the rich young ruler like, didn't really understand true goodness. So often, I think we get our feelings of morality and superiority. We get them from like, comparing to people around us, right? You, you, if you feel generally as good or maybe a little bit better than the people around you morally, then, you, then we feel okay. But Jesus' point is like, if you want to know true goodness, don't compare yourself to your coworker. Compare yourself to God. And that's what Jesus is doing. You see, God's righteousness, his goodness is reflected in the law. 
So Jesus quotes some of that to him. The second half of the Ten Commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery or steal, bear false witness, defraud, honor your father and mother. And the man replied to all this, all of these I've kept from my youth. And I'm just like, like, really? Right? Like, can I just talk to your parents for just a second? Right? But now we're getting pretty close to the heart of the problem, aren't we? Guys, people who think that they're already pretty good generally don't see the need for Jesus. When we think that we're generally pretty good on our own, Jesus does not tend to be very interesting to us. You see, this guy, he did what most of us are really tempted to do. He underestimated the standard of the law and then overestimated how good he was at keeping it. Like he was tricked. He was deceived. Jesus knows this, so he presses deeper in verse 21. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Church family, even though I think this is generally a really tragic story, that is a beautiful verse. And I hope, I hope that like, no, no matter what your background, I hope that you can see the beauty in that verse because we get to see the heart of Jesus. Jesus looked past all this man's success, all his morality. He saw that his heart was a mess. And even still, the Bible says what? He loved him. Jesus saw him and he loved him. I love how this gives us a picture of the heart of Christ who sees the truth about us, who can see the messiness of our hearts, and he loves us even still. So often we put it like this around here. We say, we describe the gospel by saying that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe, and yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted by Jesus than we ever dared to hope. Jesus is not put off or afraid by our messy hearts and messy lives, but he does love us too much to leave us the way we are. So he challenged this man. Jesus confronts this man with what I think is a personalized, like specific demand designed to challenge the true allegiance of this guy's heart. He said, go sell all you have, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, come follow me. And so like, we got to ask ourselves, like, why would Jesus do this? Is Jesus adding a vow of poverty to the gospel? Like, is this the only way that we can get into heaven? Or was Jesus wanting to expose what it really means to follow Christ? Was he wanting to help this man see that following Christ isn't really about keeping the rules or being a good person. Following Christ is about, is about giving the total allegiance of your heart to God. See, this rich young ruler wanted eternal life, but he wanted it on his own terms. He wanted to add a little religion, a little morality, a little small group attendance, a little Jesus to his already good life. Y'all, that's just not how Jesus works. 
Jesus knew this, though, and so he lovingly asked a question designed to, like, rip open and expose this guy's heart. Y'all, this man, he didn't really want Jesus, not if it cost something. Church family, I think we all need to see this really important principle, that true discipleship demands total allegiance to God. Christian discipleship is it's not really about like just doing stuff. It's not primarily about behaving. It's about becoming a certain kind of person. It's about living out of a new identity that positions God at the middle and as the greatest treasure of our lives. Y'all, God doesn't just want our behavior. He wants our affection. He wants our allegiance. He wants our worship. He wants our hearts. See, the Bible teaches that God made all of us in his image, and as such, we are worshipers. That means that we always, by default, like even without trying, we are always going to put something at the very center of our lives. You don't have to try. We just do it. There's always going to be something we build our lives around, always going to be something we give our hearts to, always going to be something that we are committed to. And yet, if we want to inherit eternal life, if we want to inherit and enjoy the kingdom of God, then we must give that total allegiance to God. See, Jesus told this man to sell his stuff and follow him, and that was an invitation to switch allegiances. It was an invitation to give over his heart. It was a call to detach his heart from his wealth and attach his allegiance to Christ. And for this young man, that price was too great. Church family, I don't think the call of discipleship is a call to sell all of your stuff, but it is a call to forsake your stuff. It's a call to detach your heart from loving or trusting anything more than Christ. You see, when Jesus says, follow me, yes, he is calling for obedience. Like what we do, the way we live, like all that stuff matters. But he's also saying, give me your heart. Trust me like a child to meet your needs, to keep you safe, to make you happy, to bring you home. So church family, I think here, one of the first things we learn is discipleship demands that we give our hearts total allegiance to God. But there's another really, glessing, uh, really glaring lesson here for us. And that is our love for the things of the world makes it really hard to follow Jesus. You see that in verses 23 through 27, right? The text says that this rich young ruler, he went away disheartened and sorrowful. So Jesus turns to his disciples who are watching all this unfold, and he actually engages them with the very same issue. I think it can be tempting to think, yeah, like this guy's messed up. Thank God I'm not like him. But Jesus turns to the disciples and wants them to think about the same issues. In fact, he's worried they're not going to get it, so he repeats it like multiple times. Verse 23, how difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed that he would say this. So he says it again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. And then he gives the one-sentence parable designed to shock and surprise them. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom. Again, the disciples were exceedingly astonished. 
Did you notice that twice he tells us, if you want to get into the kingdom, it is hard. It is difficult. The way is not wide. It is narrow. It's as narrow as a camel fitting through the eye of a needle, something that is extreme and designed to shock us. And I've been praying that we'd feel some of that shock. Because for me, I've known the story since I was a kid. We need to hear what the text is shouting. That our love for the things of this world makes it really hard, if not impossible, to follow Jesus. Jesus seems to be saying that there are a lot of things that can make it really hard to follow Jesus, but money, money is especially dangerous. Money has this unique, dangerous ability to keep us from eternal life. But why? I mean, money isn't like inherently bad. God created money. Money is a tool that can be used to accomplish like lots of really good things. The problem has to do with the dynamic relationship that we have with money and our hearts. Paul Tripp has said it in a way that I think is really helpful. He said that money will reveal what rules your heart because money has the unique ability to fund what is important to you. I find that really helpful, right? Like money is a tool that can fund your vision of the good life. And even though we may all have like different visions of what the good life is, money gives us the power to make that vision a personal reality, or at least to try, right? And and that can be good or that can be bad. If your vision of the good life includes planting churches in South Asia, like money is an awesome tool to do that. Again, but in the hands of sinful people who tend to naturally resist the authority of God, money can be really dangerous. Again, Tripp said, money can finance your allegiance to the kingdom of self. Y'all, that's exactly why the rich young ruler went away sorrowful. Like the, the problem wasn't that he loved like coin, like, like the, the, the money itself. The problem was that he was so committed to financing the kingdom of self that he would not give that up. He couldn't trust Jesus to do for him what money could do for him. Do you see that? And it cost him his soul. One commentator I read this week, he, he made a comment on this passage and, and how money can particularly hear, hinder us spiritually. He said, nothing fattens the camel like an abundance of worldly goods, right? I read a story about a London burglar who many years ago was fleeing a bank heist where he had stolen bars of silver. And he's running, and in this, the, the authorities come after him, and apparently he had filled his bags and his pants and his hands like with these bars of silver. And as the authorities got closer, he became desperate. So he ran down Rockcliffe Street, turned towards the Regent Canal Bridge, and from there he leapt off the bridge into the water where he was drowned by the silver he plundered. He just couldn't let go, and it cost him his life. I think for so many people, money becomes the crossroads, the place where we have to decide if we're going to relinquish control of our lives. That faced with this question of allegiance, we have to ask, am I going to continue to finance the kingdom of self, or am I going to surrender and give up control 
and be a citizen of the kingdom of God. You see, the crossroads of Christian discipleship comes by the reality that those who are ruled by God cannot be ruled by money. You can't have it both ways. As followers of Christ, if you're here today and you're, you consider yourself a follower of Christ, I think we especially need to be realistic about the pull that money has on our hearts and how dangerous it can be. Charles Spurgeon, an ancient preacher, or an old preacher, he said that it's very difficult for a man to have much money running through his hands without some of it sticking. Money is really sticky stuff. Makes me think of like a person trying to eat a powder sugar donut. Like you cannot eat those things without getting some of it on your fingers and on your face, right? Like money is sticky. It is, it leaves behind a trail. It is, it is drawn. It's so quick to stick to our hearts. And it's because it holds out for us the illusion that we are in control of our lives and our happiness. It gives us a chance to pursue it. I think that's one of the things that is so sanctifying about generosity. Because when we give our money away, we're actually releasing some control of our lives. And that's powerful. But money isn't the only thing we can build our lives around. It can be anything, really, all sorts of things. That's why we need to notice here in verse 24, Jesus, when he repeats this command about the difficulty to enter the kingdom, one time he says it with wealth, and the other time he doesn't even mention wealth. How difficult it is for, like anybody, to enter the kingdom in verse 24. Why would he say this? Well, I think he is expanding his, this idea. Y'all, the world is full of all sorts of good things. Like, God has made an incredible world. And there are all sorts of good things that we interact with day after day that are beckoning for us to give our hearts allegiance to that stuff rather than God. It can be anything. What sort of things? Well, Jesus mentions houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, lands, right? Like, we see all these examples in the Bible. There's a guy who, like, buys a new set of oxen. So I can't follow Jesus, I got new oxen, right? Our hearts can be drawn to anything. Friends, I think this passage suggests that there are people who will miss the kingdom of God because of fashion and travel soccer and Fortnite and like stamp collecting because our hearts can be drawn to all sorts of things and pulled away from God. And so as disciples... We must always be evaluating our relationship with the things of this world, even good things. We need to ask questions and ask questions with other people. Like, like in our small groups, ask questions like, what is my heart too attached to? Or what seems more interesting to me than God? I was so convicted by this this week. I noticed so many moments where there was stuff that just seemed more interesting to me. You know, if I, I don't know, if I could just be honest, as I think about this, like for me, I'm, I believe I've fully given my heart's allegiance to Christ. But I still feel the pull of this. Don't you? Like I still feel this war inside of me. Like it's not easy. It's not some easy one-time thing to just shift our allegiance from the kingdom of self to the kingdom of God. Like, I feel this war raging inside of me every day. 
For me, like, I don't just want to inherit eternal life. Like, that, that is great, yes, but, like, I want to follow him. I want to be near to Jesus, and I want to be useful to him. So the call for all of us is to remember that the call of the disciple is to detach our hearts from anything that we want to put at the center of our lives that is not Jesus. But I think there's another truth here that we can't miss. And it's that Jesus is better than anything this world can offer. And this is a lot of fun. We see this in 28 and on. You can tell that the disciples here are feeling the weight of all this. That's one of the new things I noticed in this passage I hadn't noticed before is how shocked they were. They were, we're told they were shocked. They were astonished. Like this whole camel thing has got them really tripping. Like they're, they're wondering, like, can anybody enter the kingdom? Can anybody be saved? And so verse 28 Peter says, I don't know, he sounds, well, never mind. Peter says, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. He's almost, like, almost kind of like whining about it, complaining. He's like, okay, what's in it for us? And it's almost like Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Let me just stop you right there, Peter. Anything you lose now is going to be repaid a hundred times over. You see, in the upside-down kingdom, no one ever knows true loss when following Christ. There is cost, but there is not true loss. You see, things are different in the upside-down kingdom. The first will be last, and the last will be first. If you want to find your life, you must lose it. And for us, even death is gain. Anything that you lose following Christ is going to be repaid. And so we say that the call of the disciple is certainly costly, but it's not without gain. Not only is there the promise of 100-fold payment, right, there in verse 30, but it's all in the context of this promise of treasures in heaven, there in verse 21. And on top of that, you have eternal life, verse 17. We are talking about this with my family this past week as we read it in Luke in our family Bible reading, the church reading plan. And we read the story of the rich young ruler in Luke 17 or 18. And then right after that, we read the opposite story of Zacchaeus, the guy who was quick to give everything away for Jesus. And my daughter, Addie, was like, why would anybody want to hold on to their stuff instead of following Jesus, right? Like, like y'all, when we see the numbers, like it pays off in the end. There's even more promise of reward in this text, that those who follow Jesus get to be with Jesus. And Jesus is better than anything this world can offer. Jesus is better than anything that money can buy. The rich young ruler missed this. He wasn't convinced. We didn't have time to read it this morning, but back in verse 13, we have, you know, right before this text, we have the story of the little children who came to Jesus. And it's always been an intriguing story to me that I've kind of struggled with. But, but I think the main point of that incident is that Jesus is teaching that anyone who receives the kingdom of God must receive it like a child. That those who are to inherit the kingdom of God must have childlike faith. But y'all, children, like children are known for their confidence in their parents. 
like that no matter what their problem is, they trust that their parents can handle it. They can meet their needs. They can take care of them. They're not worried about the stock market or rising insurance premiums and all that stuff. They just know like mom's here. She's got this. Dad's here. It's going to be okay. Sometimes they can like be almost presumptuous. The other day, my son Roman, he came in, he sat down at the table and he's like, mom, food. <laughs> he just like so expected mom to provide food for him that he just sat there and was like, where's the food? Like it's going to be here, <laughs> right? That didn't go well for him. But I think it demonstrates, it demonstrates like a confidence that he has in his mom to take care of him. That's a beautiful picture of childlike faith. It's a helpless but hopeful confidence that Jesus will always meet my greatest need. It's a confidence that says that I can give my money away and believe that Jesus will satisfy me, that he will take care of me. It's a confidence that leads us to seriously consider uprooting our lives, to go help with the church plant knowing Jesus will take care of me. It's a call that invites us to consider going overseas for the sake of the kingdom Jesus will take care of me. And how do we know this? Well, he's already proven this. He's proven it on the cross. Jesus has already proven that we can trust him. Friends, think about the story of the Christian cross. That on the cross, Jesus became poor. He lost everything so that we might become rich. I love the disciples in this passage. They seem just like so human and normal to me. Here Jesus is talking about the extreme dangers of wealth. They're talking about camels fitting through a needle, right? And then exasperated, they say, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at him, and he looked at them, and he said, with man it is possible. It's impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Friends, that's the story of the gospel the story of the gospel is that every one of us has wrongly put the stuff God has made in his rightful place. We've all fallen into the trap of looking to money and people and religion to fill that spot in our lives and in our heart. The Bible calls that sin. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus looked at us and he has loved us and he was willing to give up everything to meet our greatest need by paying for our sin on the cross. And with that in view, he calls us. He's calling you, friend, to trust him, to give him your heart, to give him your total allegiance, trusting that Jesus will always and in every circumstance meet our greatest need. He calls us to follow him, reminding us that it's not what we're willing to do that proves our love for Jesus but it's how much we're willing to lose. It's a call to see that Jesus is better and more valuable and a greater treasure than anything this world can offer and then to go all in. And I pray that you'll see that beauty this morning. Thanks again for joining us on the Calvary Now podcast. We desire that Calvary would be a place of belonging and hope where no one walks alone. If you're not already, we would love for you to join us in person at either of our campuses on Sunday mornings at 9 or 1030. For more information, visit us at calvarynow.com.